Good morning. Uh, this morning, um, just FYI, my name is Doug Baker. I'm one of the pastors here at Community. And this morning, we get to, uh, we get to spend some time together uh, digging through God's word for us today uh, as we head into a new season um, of ministry, programming, um, uh, school, all the cool stuff that comes with September. Um, and we've got to kick this off in a certain way. And I know we have like an official kickoff, but uh, this, is, this, is like the, this is like the ease in start kind of thing. So um, <clears throat> it's really good to hang out with you. Um, I know I was here a couple of, of weeks ago, but it's good to be back. I'm looking ahead a little bit, uh, thinking ahead a little bit. Uh, starting next week, Pastor Trent is going to be back, and we're going to be three weeks into the topic of hospitality, which is a great way to start off the fall, hospitality, trying to figure out, imagine the ways that we are a blessing to people, and we draw them into us, which means we draw them into uh, a relationship with Jesus and, and all that cool stuff. So um, also looking ahead, just an FYI, uh, at the end, near the end of September, uh, Pastor Nate Hybor, who we sent off to plant a church on the north side of Holland, he's going to be here with us, uh, preaching at all the services, so we're going to get to hang out with him. We, get to, we can practice that hospitality we'll have been learning about. We can like practice it all over Nate. Good? It'll be good to see him again. It's been a while. So come on out. It'll be good to have you, and uh, we'll get to, to spend some time together as a family of Jesus Christ. Now, in anticipation of talking about hospitality, I thought it would be wise for us to unpack uh, something that sets hospitality up, and it has to do with understanding identity. Um, it has uh, everything to do with knowing who we are in the midst of uh, a broken, falling apart world where there's lots of pain and hurting, uh, because there seems to be a way that things work in that world. And uh, we need to... Uh, Name it. We need to be able to call it what it is and understand our role in the midst of it and how we are set apart from it. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the difference between two kingdoms. Um, there are two kingdoms going on right now all around us. And in some ways they're at war for our souls. They, they want our, our, our attention and our spirit and, and our focus and our attitudes and our actions. Both of them. One of them is the kingdom of the world where... Everything around us and how everything works, we understand it, right? Uh, we, we know, you know, if you, if you stub your toe, it's going to hurt. I did that the other day, walking through the kitchen, just stubbed my toe. Um, <clears throat> held my tongue. I was proud of myself. But that's how things work. Bang your thumb with a hammer. There are things that are supposed to happen, right? That's the way the world works. In opposition to that now, you've got the kingdom of God. Whole different set of rules, whole different reality. Now, how do we understand these things? And how do we understand our role in this battle? Now, it's not that it's this, this battle and who's going to win and oh, no. I mean, God wins. We know God wins. He wrote a book that told us the ending already. Um, done. But there is, there is something at stake here. Um, there's a, a, a testimony. There are losses. There are gains. There is a revelation to the world where they get to see something magnificent and beautiful that they can't even imagine, or they get to see loss. And we're a part of that. We're a part of how things play out and the experience of it. Again, not because the outcome, the final outcome is determined by it, but because our experiences in it and people's experiences in it matter. 
So my, my, my wife, my, my lovely wife here, Laura, is sitting right here. She told me that I'm supposed to give road signs when I'm preaching because oftentimes I just get on a roll and I'm running from one end to the other. And, and as a listener, it might be hard to keep up and like, what in the world is he doing and why is he talking about that? So I'm just going to lay it out for you right at the beginning so you know what's going to happen. And then I'm just going to ask you to go with me on this journey because it might not make sense. So we're going to start today in the Old Testament. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 55, right? And then we're going to go, boom, running off into the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be talking about a parable that Jesus told. And then after we're done with that, we're going to like slingshot all the way back to Isaiah 61 and then end up in Isaiah 55. And it's all going to come together in this wonderful, magical, like, like all the ingredients make a luscious cheesecake kind of thing. I say that because I made a cheesecake last night. Yeah. It's going to happen. Are you ready? All right. Adventure time. Word of God today, Isaiah chapter 55. Words will be on the screen. You can open your Bibles, follow along, or you can simply just let God's word wash over you. This is the word of the Lord. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without costs. You know what? Why, why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you might live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I, I made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and a commander of the peoples. Surely you, you will summon nations you know not and nations you don't know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. The trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. And this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Father God, when you speak, it blows our minds because what you say makes no sense, and yet it resonates in our souls. So, 
as we get a chance to understand this, unpack this, and try and, and get a sense of what it is you're trying to say, this beautiful poetry that you are applying to us, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to receive the gift that you want to give. For your glory, for the Lord's renown, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... Great Old Testament passage. It might sound familiar. There's pieces of it you're like, oh, yeah, dude, I've heard that before. And we love this. This is a great one. This, this has imagery and promises. It's poetry. It, it resonates with our hearts. I mean, who's going to argue against these kind of promises that God makes for our lives as, as he wants to pour out abundance? Your thirst will be quenched. Your needs will be met. You will receive the richest of fare. Uh, I don't know what fare is, but I want it. Because it sounds great. We like to know that God will not fail in his promises. This feels like an, an abundant promise that God is making to us. Why would we not like this? And those things are true. And there's something else going on. God's painting a picture, not just so we know what we get, but he's painting a picture so we know who we are. So we know who he is. This passage, Isaiah 55, really is God saying there are two different kingdoms. And there are ways that the one kingdom works. And there are ways that my kingdom works. And you get to choose which kingdom you want to be a part of. Which one will you invest in? Which one will define your reality? Who will you choose to be? And this is how this unpacks it. Now, I could, I could just walk through this whole scripture line by line and we could unpack it. I could do that pastoral exposition kind of thing. Or I could do something smarter. And every once in a while, I like to think I'm smarter. We could turn to another piece of God's word and let... God's word, help us understand God's word. And there's this wonderful parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 19 that I think helps us understand Isaiah 55 really well. Um, now, you're going to hear it, and you're going to be like, what? The, I, um, I don't get it. And that's okay. I'll help you. That, that's my job. So, we're going to turn to what Jesus has to say. This is in Luke chapter 19. I did not give this scripture to the people with the, uh, the screen thing. So, and I did that on purpose because, you know, personally, I believe that when you're hearing a parable, you should hear it. Jesus said this. Like, he said these words. They, they landed on people as he spoke them. And I think they can land on us. So, Jesus told this parable at the end of Luke 19 right before he headed off into Jerusalem to be crucified. This is the last parable he taught in the Gospel of Luke. And this is what he taught. This is what he said. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Now, his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and he returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, 
your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, the master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. And the master answered, you take charge of five cities. And then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You, you take what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. And the master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking what I didn't put in and reaping what I didn't sow? Why didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? And then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minus. And they said, sir, he already has 10, which I love this. Why is there this repetition? Wait a minute. Give it to the guy who had 10. Wait, he already has 10. Duh, I just said that. I love these little things in the Bible. They just, uh, it's crazy. And the guy said, I tell you that everyone who has, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Now, you know those enemies of mine who didn't want me to be king over them? Bring them here and kill them in front of me. Whoa. All right, now, what does that have to do with Isaiah 55? All right, let's, let's begin unpacking some things here, okay? So the first thing that's going to happen, the first thing that might be happening is you might be, if, if you've been reading your Bibles and being faithful in that, you might be thinking to yourself, hold on a second. This story sounds suspiciously like a different parable, but a similar parable in the Gospel of Matthew. Isn't there one that, with the talents? I mean, well, I don't know what a mina is, but isn't there a talent one? Yes, yes, there is. Aren't these the same parable? No. Now, I know, I know, oftentimes you're reading your Bibles, you're especially the Gospels, and you've got these four different books of the Bible, and, and quite often you'll, you'll read a story in one and, and hear about something cool that happened, and then you'll open a different one, and you'll find that same story, and the details are a little bit different, but you know, it's the same story. This is, this, uh, this is because when the authors who are writing the Gospels uh, were were. Mark, you know, writing down these stories, some of them had uh, uh, sources that they would refer to. Um, it's not just all coming from memory. They're reading another source um, that we don't have anymore. And they're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And so, so they start telling that story. And sometimes there's little pieces that are different. So did that happen here? Is this, is this the same one with just different details? It might have had the same source, but the purpose of these two parables, talents and minus, is completely different. They are not the same parable. The purpose of the parable of the talents in Matthew is to teach us a lesson about stewardship and faithfulness. It is a true parable that Jesus spoke to get people to understand stewardship, faithfulness. The parable in Luke's gospel about the minus has a different purpose altogether. And we know that because Jesus includes some details in this parable that actually happened in real life. He's basing some of the facts of this on historical data, stuff that happened 30 years before he tells this story. We need to know that. 
And we need to also be paying attention to the fact that this is the last thing he's teaching them before he goes off to be crucified. He knows he's about to die. He told them he's about to die. They didn't really believe him or fully understand what that meant. So if you've got a group of folks that need to know what's going to happen next so it doesn't mess with them, just throw them off completely, what are you going to do? If you've got one last story to tell, one last thing so that they can kind of understand that they're not alone, that this isn't, a court, this isn't just a deviation, it's not just the world taking over and we lose everything, that God's plan is still being lived out. You tell them one last story to kind of prime the pump. You get their brain ready. Now look, look, you're, you're going to see some stuff and it's going to mess with you, but you're going to think back to this lesson and suddenly you're going to be like, wait a minute, I'm seeing some parallels. There's, there's things that I learned in that that now I can apply to this. I think he's getting them ready for what's coming. And he says to them, a man of noble birth went off to be appointed king. Okay, another clarifier. I'm doing a lot of clarifying here. Oftentimes when we're hearing parables, stories in the, in the Bible, when there's a nobleman or a king or a rich ruler, oftentimes we're meant to think of God. You know, the, the parable of the prodigal son. We're meant to think of God as that dad who runs out to grab his son and welcome him home. It's meant to be that way, not this time. Because this parable, this story Jesus is telling is based on historical fact. This happened. Certain components of this happened. There was a nobleman 30 years before this who went off to Rome to become appointed a king. His name was Archelaus, and he was one of the sons of Herod the Great. And when he went off, what we know historically, he did appoint ten, uh, several viceroys, call them viceroys or servants, to rule in his stead, to make sure that the taxes were being collected, to make sure that he was going to get the money that he deserved. Uh, Archelaus was not a nice guy. He was pretty vicious. He was very greedy. He oppressed the poor. He subjugated the weak, and he wanted to make sure that none of that stopped while he was out of town. We also know, historically, there really was a group of people who sent up a delegation to Rome following Archelaus, pleading and pleading and pleading, please don't let him be our king. He's terrible. And he became king anyway. And he came home. And now we get into the lesson. What is the lesson now of the parable? How does Jesus unpack this so we understand what's going on? The young king returns to his kingdom. He talks with his viceroys. Do you have my money? And he commends the first servant who had been given one mina because he had turned it through ruthlessness and cruelty into ten, just like his king. And a second viceroy comes up, and, and he does pretty well too. And he grows one mina into five. And the reward for these guys for doing this is to get the ability to rule cities. Because if you do things the way I want you to do them, according to the ways of the world, you get the world's rewards. And there's a, a, this is important. Like Jesus is unpacking it with this language, I think, on purpose because he wants us to be remembering something that happened at the beginning of his ministry. Do you remember when he was in the wilderness, one of the temptations that Satan offered him took him up to a really high place and said to him, look at this land in front of you, all of these kingdoms. You see all of these cities? 
Do you, Jesus, want to rule all of these cities? Because I will give them to you if you will bow down and worship me. If you will do things my way, you can have those rewards. I don't think it's an accident of that echo here. I used to think that those first two servants were the faithful ones. And they took a little bit and they turned it into a lot because their master told them to. But in light of Isaiah 55, in light of an understanding of two kingdoms, in light of the fact that Jesus is going off to pay the ultimate price for living according to the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom of the world, and everything he had is being taken away from him and and poured out all over other people, they cast lots to own his clothes while he hung on the cross. Suddenly, I don't think those first two servants are the good guys. I think as Jesus is telling this, I think he wants us to know that they're the crooks. It's the third servant who's doing it right. It's the third servant who's saying, look, there's a better way. I don't want to participate in your extortion and your wickedness. I don't want to do things according to the ways of the world. There's something better, and I'm not not, going to participate in it. And for doing what is better, it costs him everything. Just like it was going to cost Jesus everything to live according to the kingdom of heaven. Everything. I hear in this passage a call from Jesus to refuse to play the game laid out by the world according to its wisdom and its rules and its ways. That we're called to a different reality. We're called to a kingdom truth. One in which the greatest will be least and the least will be greatest. One in which the first will be last and the last will be first. One in which God uses the things that are nothing to shame the things that are wise and great. One in which the word of God himself, Jesus says what he was sent to do, to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for prisoners, to comfort those who mourn and to provide for those who grieve and bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And when Jesus said those words, he said, today these words are fulfilled in your hearing, because here I am. And suddenly now, with all those things in mind, this, this, this potential meaning, this new meaning of this parable that Jesus unpacks and who he is and what he brings, suddenly the words of Isaiah 55 become different. They become deeper. They're about the way the kingdom of God works in contrast to the kingdom of the world. And this challenge that we, we, you and me, church, are the body of Jesus Christ. We now get to be the means, the avenue, the way that God pours out his waterfalls of abundance and the gifts of nourishment to be rained down upon those who are thirsty and they don't have the ability to afford anything to drink. We get to be their sustenance. God's giving us as a gift to them. Because in God's economy, just because you don't have enough doesn't mean you go without. God says, I will give to you because I love you. Not because you have to earn it or buy it. His thoughts are 
and ways are different than ours. And that does, that doesn't, that's not about how smart God is and how dumb we are. It's the reality that he acts in ways that defy reason. He defies the motivations of the world. And as his children, as his people, we then are also meant to stand in defiance to the reason and the motivations of the world, even if it costs us our mina. And just like the rain and snow will water the earth, according to God's plan, so too will his word. You know who the word is, right? You know who the word of God is, right? Jesus is the word of God. So, so too, his word, Jesus, will go out into the earth and he will not return empty. He will fulfill the plan of God. He will collect all his sheep from many pens. And the word of God will accomplish what God sent him to do through his continued presence on this earth. Which means God's talking to you now as he unfolds these promises in Isaiah 55. Because you are now the presence, the hands and feet. You are the body of Christ, church. God has a plan for you to use you to be a blessing to the world around you, a world that needs to be blessed, to know who God is, to know that there's a different set of rules called the kingdom of heaven and the rules of the world don't have to rule them anymore. They can be free. And now you, you, and these are the words from Isaiah 55, you, you will go forth in joy and be led forth in peace and the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands and instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. We don't have to be prickly. We get to be a fruit-bearing, nourishment, awesome-smelling, cool stuff. Instead of thistles will, uh, and briars, the myrtle will grow. And this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will last, endure forever. You, you, will summon nations you know not. And nations you don't know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you I'm talking to you. He has endowed you with splendor. Now, I'm not calling you Jesus. I'm not telling you you have to be people's savior. I am saying through the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus Christ lives in and through you. You are a gift to the world in which you live. Those neighbors that live around your house, you're a gift to them. The people you work with, you're a gift to them. Your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren, your parents, your aunts and your uncles and your cousins, that weird person you saw sitting on the bench in Meyer, and you're like, oh no, I bet they smell funny. You are God's gift to them because you're standing there right now. As a part of God's kingdom on this earth today, you will be the place where the least and the broken and the bound and the hurting, those who need healing and grace and peace, you will be the wine and the milk they receive without money. You will be the bread and the richest of fare for those who are without. That's what it means to be the people of the kingdom of heaven. It will cost you the world. And it will gain you eternity.
Amen. Amen. Father God, your goodness knows no bounds. Your abundance knows no limits. And, and we get to be a part of that. Um, it's scary to be a gift to brokenness, to a world that, that has a different set of rules. And it's costly to stand, to stand up in the face of that and to say true things, the true things that you've put into our hearts instead of the things that the world says should be true. Sometimes we're afraid of what it will cost. So we pray for encouragement and assurance, for the words on our lips that are true, and for the gospel and the beauty of Jesus Christ to shine through us even in our weakness, even when we're reluctant. Because there's a lot of people out there, beloved, beautiful people, whose hearts need to catch a glimpse of that wonderful light we know, whose thirst needs to be quenched by the living water that flows from within us. For your renown, Father, for the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God loves you, and he has great plans for you, and that can be scary, intimidating, and it is amazing. So may the plans that God has for you pour out through you into the world around you so that you get to be a conduit of God's amazing blessing to the folks in your life. May God grant you peace and encouragement to be all he has made you to be. And all of God's people said, amen. Go in peace.